Hi, I'm Akhil Arora. And I'm Rohan Nahar. Welcome to The Long Take. This week, we're discussing Cargo, a new Indian sci-fi movie on Netflix, a rare event starring Rikarin Masse and Shweta Tripathi and directed by a debutant called Arati Kadav. Um, it's sort of like involves Hindu mythology in pieces, or at least on a basic foundation level, but then takes that into space, which is how it turns into a sci-fi movie. Um, what did you think of the concept, Ron? Uh, I thought the concept was quite interesting, uh, but I had problems with the execution. Yeah, I, I felt that the film really had uh, nothing worthwhile to say, and it was too convoluted for my liking. I would have preferred a more streamlined approach. I mean, I know what she's... Uh, there's a tendency with first-time filmmakers is that they have this fear that they won't ever get to make a movie ever again. Mm-hmm. So they throw everything at it. Everything, they, all of the ideas in the first movie, yeah. Yeah. And, and then their future efforts end up being derivative of their first movie, right? That happens to some filmmakers. I'm not going to say it's going to happen with Kadav, but that tends to happen with some is that, you know, all their future films are basically borrowing from their debut film, which had all of their ideas about the world. Yeah, because it's only because they've put too much in their first movie. And I think it's a very common thing. It's not, this is not the first time I'm seeing it. Um, but yeah, I would have expected the producers, some of whom are quite illustrious, uh, to maybe have um, told her to, uh, you know, streamline uh, her plot a little bit. But then if you look at uh, Anurag Kashyap's movies, he also has this tendency to overstuff them. Hmm. I mean, I also don't know how involved these filmmakers uh, are or even can be given their own sort of demanding schedules. I think they were quite involved because the project was set up at Phantom, right? And when Phantom dissolved, they were so um, pleased with the work that they'd done on the film. They decided to kind of complete the job. Is that how it happened? Because maybe I read it wrong, but from what I read online was that they were developing a movie at Phantom, like a sci-fi movie. But then that idea collapsed because of whatever was happening at Phantom. And then she came up with a new idea. Like, I'm not sure there was the same movie, but maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone's going to fact check us. Yeah, we should be doing such things before the podcast. Sorry, Rakesh. Um, <laughs> so, so that's the, like, where it sort of starts off. Um, if you had to identify the parts beyond the concept that you did think were promising what was some some of those would be i think technically it was quite strong um you know i'm sure they didn't have a lot of money to work with um so i think visually it was quite refined for the sort of movie that it was i liked some of the um visual ideas in it uh in terms of it wasn't futuristic it felt very analog uh the tech yeah it was almost like retro futuristic right but like everything else about the movie i don't understand why everything was so retro i mean i think it's a almost like a budgetary uh, level sort of uh, conclusion here right is that they were like if we go all you know futuristic where we show like sleek like how started discovery is something like that we're not going to be able to do it at our level it will just look very bad so let's pull off what we can at this budget maybe i'm just literally spitballing here yeah i mean i'm i would have appreciated a slight explanation for it because it just makes me it's not making uh, me uh, think about these things in a good way you know what I'm saying? Like some movies will make you question the decisions, but in a engaging, fun manner where you want to know what's happening, the you know, and why certain choices were made. But this one is, is just leaving me scratching my head because I don't understand the point of I don't understand the point of melding fantasy with science fiction on a fundamental level I don't get the movie like as the concept itself of like the rakshas and everything you mean yeah I mean why did why why is it important for Vikrant Massey's character to be a rakshas 
do you get what i'm saying because he is basically a human being if i uh, kind of got distracted in the 5 seconds that the backstory was explained in the movie i would never ever ever question that he wasn't a human right so i mean fundamentally i was confused about why introduce the mythology in a science fiction film uh, you know beyond the obvious like oh we want to do like a cute uh, i don't know like a reference to like mythology but like surface level i don't really understand the meaning behind I think the keywords there are actually surface level is what I kept coming back to multiple aspects of cargo um not just like the parts that you question right now but even uh its main thing is obviously you have to have the character's journey has to go somewhere right and here it's about uh one uh why is he spending all his time alone like this that's the one question the movie wants to answer hmm. and the second thing when the US cut turns up is well what is her like screen screen acting 101 right like what is her going to her going to be a big test in life and then she to go through that and emerge as a like a proper like renewed character and that's what she wants to explore and it adopts almost like a tiny mini an- anthology way because it sort of keeps like dropping new people through vignettes mm. um and then that's how we supposed to like learn about these characters right mm. through the dead humans who show up on their spaceship pushpak mm. but what it comes back to is all these sort of tiny moments we interactions we see with those dead humans they usually don't go beyond surface level do they yeah uh again i think that's because the movie really doesn't have a strong idea to convey uh it's as if she came up with the you know like a like a page long uh, treatment right. and then when you're like expanding it into a full script um the research and the background material and the actual plot kind of just became a convoluted mess in on the page yeah where it's sort of probably almost like worth revisiting sometimes you know writing you know uh, that is your story or the concept that you have worth a 90 minute treatment or whatever this is or is it worth like a you know shorter short film literally like a half an hour thing or a two minute thing right because mm-hmm. i think it probably could have worked better as that um depending on what you keep in and what you sort of throw out yeah you know i'm like struggling with even i watched this movie uh, a week ago uh, on the 5th of this month which is a few days before it came out and i have i i'm sure you can tell i i'm struggling with even coming up with something interesting to say about it because that is how quickly i've forgotten it. i know that's a very harsh thing to say but with the amount of things that we are watching especially for work it's with me especially i keep it just goes if it's not special it'll disappear yeah it just yeah it enters your brain from one side and it leaves the other side because yeah it if it's not going to stand out yeah from all the which is like sort of the problem we have in today's almost like entertainment right even though it's a golden age mm. what happens with that is you're not going to just produce great movies just by default if you hire good people yeah what happens is you have to produce a, a lot of garbage and a lot of mediocre stuff and then a lot of uh, passable stuff and a lot of good stuff and then at the top of the pyramid you probably get it one or two percent of like the great stuff right yeah so scarver basically belongs in that possible section where it's like yeah i was nice but i'm not really sure what i want i mean i wouldn't even it. call it i wouldn't even call it possible because possible things at least i would recall i would recommend to other people oh that was interesting right but this one i have forgotten in a matter of days to the point where i cannot even remember certain bits and pieces of it and the point is i think the problem lies with the fact that she has tied her own like tied her 
herself in knots. She's put herself in this position where she has to do those expository scenes, right? Right. Because she has so much lore and mythology that she's introduced into this world, which was absolutely unnecessary. So she feels every 15 minutes in the first act, there has to be a expository dump where the audience kind of familiarizes itself with the And although hilariously at the same time, even though as that happens, I had still had so many questions about how the world operates. Yeah. And I was like... I'm not sure the answers are necessary, but given that you've introduced this weird world to me, <laughs> now, now, now I do have, have questions. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? how was, firstly, how are humans and Raksha's co-living? Uh, were they on the same planet? Were they on different planets? The, the movie never t- tells us that. So I'm confused. Yes. I mean, I ended my review with like five questions. I don't usually do that. I'm like, I need to know these things because <laughs> you introduced them. The movie would have been perfectly fine if you didn't have the mythology and you made Vikrant Massey's character a human being who was feeling lonely in space. We've seen that before. We don't mind saying it again. Do it with a Desi person. But then because you've introduced so much lore, now I want to know like, what's the point of this? Why? I mean, if the Rakshas people have superpowers why are they doing menial jobs yeah and if they, why are if they, they have superpowers and then i'm wondering if see if they're when that hansel Mehta shows up as their whatever boss or founder or whatever see, or i f- i literally forgot that hansel Mehta was in this movie <laughs> yeah so that, that's basically his only involvement right to like do an exposition dump um <laughs> so when he turns up there and then explains the world i'm like wait so i know like rakshas in the whatever the mythological sense right they're job was to steal souls or not his job but they just love doing that or whatever um so does that mean in the current world once they've signed this peace treaty whatever that means with humans um does that mean they're now all of them are involved clearly not all of them are involved in like the business of um soul stealing anymore right or whatever processing they're doing on pushback because at one point when uh yuvishka Tripathi's character is about sort of like disillusioned with this and she's getting like sort of you know hate a lot uh, on whatever like because she's not able to perform on her job hmm. her mother says on the phone just come back down and then I'll employ you at the hospital and I'm like wait so there are rakshas out there who are doing normal jobs at like hospitals and churches and like museums and stuff like I'm not like again see these questions don't really matter to the movie but now that you've introduced this world I sort of actually want the answer at the same time yeah I mean exactly they are all basically X-Men so why are they doing Sarkari Nokris why is Yuvishka who has healing powers. Yeah, I found weird also like even though he has telekinetic obviously, right? Uh, Prashta. But he still uses a paddle to like hover the ball. Why can't he just do it with his hand? What is the <laughs> what purpose is the paddle serving? There's another guy who uh, can uh, make himself invisible but like partially 87.5%. I mean, these are like throwaway jokes at this point, right? You're not even trying to like make practical sense with it. Just like, yeah, this is just a funny power. We thought this would be a good throwaway thing. So we put it here. Have fun. And then there's that unnecessary, like, on-the-nose uh, uh, loneliness detective advertisement that keeps happening. The first time I watched it, I was like, ooh, fun. But then I realized, like, 10 minutes later, oh, it has nothing to do with the plot. Yeah, because I just was like, completely uh, expecting that loneliness, like, sort of angle to be tied with uh, Prahasta's story, right? That's where it would make sense because he was clearly the lonely one, even though he was not recognizing it or didn't care for it. Yeah. But then it ends up connecting to Yuvishka's story. She's the one, like, in her moment of panic who like sort of says then I oh because I have the connection to this whatever she saw his show or something 
I this is going to charge me to overcome my difficulty and you know become like good at my job again. And I was like um but that's the thing with the movie right because of these unnecessary additions to the story the movie kind of loses track and she doesn't really know what to focus on and then the things that she should have focused on which were the characters and their journeys and the loneliness and how Prahasta has basically put himself in this situation he's on this self like self imposed yeah, exile much more of that Like I needed a lot more, you know, moments or scenes before actually Konkona Sen Sharma shows up in that cameo. Yeah. So actually, so I can feel that moment, right? By the time we get to that moment, and he has that lovely scene with her across television screens, so I need to feel that oh, he's really like sort of you know lost someone or he's given up on someone out of whatever, which is not even properly explained. So like instead of just giving us two scenes whatever uh once when he was like storing all those letters in a box and the second time I think unless I missed something the second time was when Yuvashka revealed she had gotten them I'm not sure anything else was given to us to feel uh put us inside Prahasta's mind yeah even though I mean the the setup is ripe for solitude and just quiet moments and stuff yeah, like that but it's the movie is built for that which is why I also find it annoying that they would sometimes keep cutting to those down on the earth and show us how these people are dying and i'm like this serves no purpose absolutely like, can we not have these com- comedic moments you know which is which is uh, another thing that i want to talk about is that you know this movie everyone's been saying how refreshingly original it is for it's original for india you know yeah extremely derivative uh i mean ob- the obvious uh cinematic references that i thought of were uh, moon if yeah. you remember at least for the first yeah. 20 minutes like that's completely moon obviously yeah. but there's no like twist in here that there's like a million versions of prahasta out there which i was at a point expecting and when hansal mehta now that i've remembered hansal mehta when hansal mehta showed up i thought oh they might explore the corporatization of this sarkari yeah uh, i was literally hoping that this is going to be like commentary on capitalism or something that how even rakshasas have basically given into capitalism but that's movie was not interested in that which would have been interesting right so after they signed the treaty with humans they kind of took on hum- human like yeah like that would be a good was... joke that you know they basically ended up becoming humans <laughs> uh so yeah i mean maybe they should have sat down and had these like uh, brainstorming sessions to kind of work on this movie a little bit more i don't want to sound overly harsh because i do understand that you know it's difficult to get sci-fi movies made in india it's difficult to get indie movies made in india it's difficult for a woman to get movies made in india yeah and i was very very i was looking forward to this movie actually you know when i when i when it played at mami and i read a little bit about it and i saw that trailer that they did um, release back then i was super uh, interested in what the movie is going to be i like the actors they are both good uh shweta tripathi i think shlok sharma has also produced right yeah i think so so haram kaur right haram kaur is like brilliant and uh, masan obviously with which this movie shares a lot of themes i felt i mean yeah i wanted it to be good you know because like anyway first like we don't get sci-fi movies from bollywood unless they're like big budget crap like i don't know ravan or 2.0 or that kind of level bs hmm. so that's why i wanted it to be good because you know like if it's good then it's sort of it could potentially open up like a new sort of you know environment for filmmakers to try it out uh, but also it's like so out of the mainstream out of the conversation right because it's like not even got in the netflix original label although i'm not sure about the production decision or whatever and so it's not going to get that sort of even marketing blitz to be put out there and i'm not sure it's actually going to even if it was was good i'm not sure it would have actually resulted in anything more sci-fi from bollywood yeah i mean it got no marketing blitz it, the, the trailer came out like a day before its release uh, yeah and it was 
dumped the next day and everyone is going to just going to move on i'm feeling uncommonly bad about this because i know that they wanted to make a good movie sometimes about the intentions you know like sometimes you can just tell that a movie is there just for people to make money but here i feel that everyone involved kind of wanted to do something new so i'm feeling a little i'm not happy that it didn't do well it wasn't as good as i expected it despite how how much you're bashing it it's still so refreshing from the you know things we see otherwise right the st- stuff we review here like it's either like sadak 2 or like class of 83 or whatever dilvechar yeah, those are all like, like that those are all basically like tried and tested like bollywood like like dramas right being made for 50 years now yeah i mean those movies can go to hell like as far as i'm concerned but um, you know like cargo nothing annoys me more than when a movie is like forgettable like i will remember sadak 2 for how terrible it was but <laughs> i will not remember i will not remember cargo which sucks i'm sure mahesh but is smiling somewhere i hope he is he's having a terrible time <laughs> um i think it's time to move into the new section what happened this week what happened this week uh, the dune trailer dropped what do you think make of it underwhelmed honestly yeah actually i feel like i'm not like i'm not a trailer person at all anymore like it's very rare same the trailer is actually able to amp up the movie for me but warner brothers is excellent at cutting trailers like all the amazing studio trailers of the last 5 years have been warner brothers trailers and we'll get to this in a minute but everyone involved is amazing yeah that like there is no doubt about that um even though like it's a different argument of whether uh viranoa's films are all watchable especially the most recent one i mean what what hang on hang on hang on, hang on. no as in, i'm not i don't mean for people like us i mean the mainstream audience like there's a reason brian 2049 did not make more than what 230 million or something yes it was too expensive um it was obviously over long um and uh, he has the tendency to kind of go he's the opposite of i think arthi kadav in the sense that his movies are extremely streamlined uh but they're still so glacially paced yeah that it really really requires the audience to commit blade runner is a kind of movie that makes you think it involves you in the characters journeys and yeah but I how think many people want to actually a, sit and think in a theater that's true but then that is again you're right uh, dune seems very very tonally similar to uh, blade runner yeah i mean because that's what he's produced right so when one of us picked him i mean it's just in the same studio blade runner everything i was surprised honestly they knew what they were going to get from him right it's not not like this is not even though it's the same location as star wars force awakens this is not that yeah or um, the martian also filmed in jordan whatever like this is going to be like even this is not even a complete movie this is going to be the first of two movies based on one book so it's going to leave you in like i'm good, sure they'll wrap it up in some way but it's not going to be a complete story yeah so that itself like tells you that he's planning on like a proper it's almost like he's creating a mini series right i'm sure it's going to be like two to one half or whatever If he makes another two and a half hours it's going to be like five hours total there is a tv series also by the way that he's yeah. doing that just i think that has become like the compromises these guys have to do i think at this point is that if you want to do do these giant movies you have to sort of make these concessions on the side that uh hollywood everyone's everything to be a franchise these days and they're not going to let you just make a movie and go home like they did with nolan back in the day also what i think hbo max the colossal goof up that they did was they launched without flagship title yeah. and they realized it later 
and now they've kind of come up with this weird idea to concurrently make TV shows with their movies, which is a good idea. But then it's like a year or two too late, which is what I'm thinking. But then the thing Denny will know is that I think they actively went after him because he's such a passionate fan of the material, which I have never kind of engaged with. By the way, I should just say. yeah, I haven't done it yet, but I'm. I mean, anyway, the movie's getting pushed to here, so I'll probably delay my reading of the book until we actually have a fixed date. Not like it's gonna turn up in India anytime soon. I doubt by like fall of 2021 we'll <laughs> see this movie. I think I, I feel like all the big like movies of this level now we're just gonna have to see on Blu-ray. Like that's literally gonna be the only option we have at this point. Yeah, but that's the thing with Dune, man. Like it's it it seems like something I would be interested in. It's right up my alley. But the trailer wasn't. Uh, again, it felt like it was trying to um, lure in the average moviegoer, uh, just to kind of explain to them this world and why it's. I mean, on uh, some level, that's probably actually a good thing given his previous successes. But Blade Runner was like it was perfectly. I mean, it did well at the Oscars and stuff like that. Right? It got like a lot of awards uh, considering and uh, it got the acclaim which is I think partially the reason why he was invited back despite the yeah I mean it's unheard of for a for and a why he was given to... like such a large budget just look at the cast man I'm sure they themselves yeah, he, must be he like probably big chunk lost, of that he probably lost one of others hundreds of millions of dollars on Blade Runner but yet he was invited back which I mean just goes to show that uh, art is not dead in Hollywood I guess this is the same studio though which is keeps re- rebooting DC so maybe we should not be so forgiving for them but okay yeah cool i guess let's move on to the third and final section of the podcast what we watched this week yep what did i watch i watched um the komi rule so it's like a two-part um miniseries about um, the former FBI director James Comey who was fired by Donald Trump uh, for basically refusing to comply and um, so he was a really controversial figure if you remember uh, what yeah, happened this was the guy who opened that investigation into Clinton's emails right yeah he he opened an investigation into Clinton's emails weeks before possibly the influenced the election and, and and changed the entire world yeah so basically that's what the show that's what the show is building on is that this guy is responsible for Donald Trump winning the election and <laughs> as you said changing the uh, that's course a lot of, to put on him yeah and uh, he he was kind of villainized for a while people were wondering why he initiated the investigation when he could have simply delayed uh, it to after the elections and kind of yeah. and the show kind of it admits that uh, Comey knew the implications of his actions and also from the perspective of kind of uh, whitewashing uh, a lot of the stuff that happened it really really uh, looks up to Comey as a human being and a lot of the show is dedicated to kind of cleaning up his reputation I feel because of all the stuff that happened and uh, there's this super showy uh, performance by Brendan Gleeson as Donald Trump <laughs> who's literally made to uh, he's he's designed like a Bond villain which is how he's shot how he how he how he forms etc etc mm. so I had a very documentary filled week uh, I watched a bunch of stuff that I had been ignoring for years uh, so it basically became like a heavyweight list uh, so I, the, one of them I saw was these I don't know if you heard about the recently Welcome to Chechnya, the one about how uh, the Chechen government, which is sort of an autonomous region of Russia, is persecuting uh, LGBTQ people in their region. 
which was really good um, and how they sort of explored actually what's going down there and how apathetic people are to just like what's going happening then i watched two mountaineering documentaries uh one is about sharpas which is literally called sharpa um it's about the 2014 incident which happened when um more people died in one day on everest than had ever so that sort of it kicks off like almost like a backlash like it's been building up in this that you know sherpas feel like they always do the more work on everest and you know this white people just like you know build on their stand on their shoulders and sort of reach the summit and that's that sort of backlash builds on you know that this is refused to actually in the peak of the season when they actually earn the bulk of the money they're like we're not going to take you up the mountain this time just like screw it i mean initially the Nep- nepalese government was not listening to them but the movie sort of en- ends with th- by telling you that it did give in to their demands just because how because it's almost becoming economy right it's a big contributor to Nep- nepal's economy now like everest tourism yeah uh, so it's probably very, one of the biggest yeah yeah so it's very and the government is super aware of the damage that it's doing by allowing so many people to kind of visit every year and uh, crowd yeah it does but they still need it because otherwise without that i mean it was I mean, they were just joking sharpas they were like i mean if we leave this i just have to go back to potato farming like that's how bad it is there is no middle ground in the economy what else so and then i watched two documentaries about uh essentially sexual assault uh one of them is a recent one about me too mm-hmm. uh, about russell simmons on the record mm-hmm. it's really well done mm-hmm. and incidentally when i watched the second one i did not know it was from the same creator Mm. uh but this was one had been holding on literally for 8 years like that's how long it's been sitting on my hard drive and i finally watched it this week uh it's called the invisible war and so what sexual assault in the us military yeah i remember that one kobe dick right yeah so kobe dick is also on the on the record as well wasn't on the record supposed to be uh produced by oprah and then oprah kind of backed out yeah oprah bailed basically i think i think it was supposed to be initially apple and because she bailed and ended up going to hbo picked it up later although oprah has been very very vocal about uh, these subjects right in the past but she got into it initially and then when she started seeing the material then she pulled out right it's not like she pulled out before it was started filming so it was like too uh, critical of russell simmons assaults like is what i mean maybe I mean, she I didn't agree with it. maybe she didn't agree with how harsh they were being then she wanted to like <laughs> maybe other other viewpoints i mean yeah speaking of kirby dick uh, he made this uh, this is not the first time that he's uh, made a movie about uh, sexual crimes uh, he did this film called twist of faith which i just want to take the opportunity to recommend as well it's about uh, sexual abuse inside the catholic church really really good and the last documentary i saw was which some people it was made in 1929 almost 100 years at this point but it's still considered actually the best documentary ever made it's called a man with a movie camera mm-hmm. and it's what the clever thing it does is so it's documenting life in like a soviet town uh, back then and it puts its own filmmaking like from like for filming to editing to screening inside the documentary itself mm-hmm. so the shots of the life in the soviet era whatever from people like you know going about their work or like playing around or whatever is cut with uh, someone at an editing table and looking through film or the movie actually documentary being screened for audiences and then a literally a man with a camera showing up whilst another camera is filming him so it's very interesting in that in that sense almost 100 years old yeah i mean it was literally too ahead of its time like i was reading after the i mean i we don't realize after now 
while watching it. But back then it was considered almost like heretic because of how the filming techniques they used. Uh, literally invented a bunch of like cuts and splices that we know today. Mm. And people literally just like were like blasted and they were like, how can you do such things, right? And the movie had like some 1500 shots, which is now considered like average. Like Michael Bay would be like, what come in? That was like Michael, Michael Bay ka ek conversations. Yeah, exactly. But like that time was considered heresy. Like how can you have so many like... Like in between New York Times, it's like I couldn't focus on the movie because I was like cutting too fast or whatever. Literally, the biggest filmmaker at probably at that point, you know, Bartonshin Potemkin director Sergei Eisenstein, like disavowed it. He's like, this is not cinema, but now it's considered the best documentary of all times. It's gone through basically a tremendous reevaluation. Yeah, which just goes to show how contemporary uh, opinions about movies might always might not always be accurate. And you know, uh, have you seen that um, interview of? Um, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn and um, William Friedkin. I don't think I have. I mean, it's, it became one of those um, memeable things where people plucked out like bits and pieces of it and it was widely shared on the internet as well. But like one particularly interesting portion of that interview is when uh, Refn just declares that, yeah, Drive is one of the greatest films of all time. And, <laughs> uh, Drive is a movie that he's made, right? <laughs> uh... And... Uh, and William Friedkin just, he's like, hang on, hang on, hang on. He just feigns like uh, shock. He almost pretends to have like a heart attack. He's like, what did you just say? <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you have to say about Citizen Kane then? He's like, Citizen Kane is fine, but Drive is one of the greatest films of all time. He's like, Drive is nothing. It's like a pockmark. We won't know anything about Drive until the next 30 years. It's too early to tell if it's even good or bad. So, I mean, th- exactly, right? So who knows, maybe like 30 years from now, Sadak 2 is uh, considered a masterpiece. I mean, yeah, I actually think think that sometimes you know like the movies that we review in our jobs right we literally are because of online journalism we have to review them in hours right we can't even wait a day forget days or weeks or months minutes i'm working with minutes man <laughs> sorry about that like i i don't know how i'm working with hours so like i can't even imagine the world <laughs> you're living in but the point here is happen easily right that years from now or decades from now people will be like who are these reviewers who give this x movie a bad review and clearly today everyone loves it like i imagine what movies do- would those be that i have like disavowed and then people will be like uh you were wrong we all know there's going to be a critical re-evaluation of mrs Hill killer in 2049 oh god it's gonna be like it de- declared avant-garde going Yes, Shirish Kundar will be given like a honorary Oscar on his deathbed like Satyajit Ray. They'll be like, look at these sets. They they were so courageous, like just like Apple, that they could go so bold when no other filmmaker was willing to go so far. Yeah, could you imagine a movie having a set that looks like a Thai strip club and a gothic mansion in the same scene? Yeah, I guess we should stand the podcast here like for life. Mm-hmm. This should be the death of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, I guess that's it for this week. You can find The Long Take on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at The Long Take Pod. You can write to us at thelongtakepod at gmail.com. Uh, wherever you're listening to the podcast, please leave us a rating and a review. And we will see you next week.